on a more personal level, I'm going to invite first Hannah and then Yin Gyeong to come and share um, their experiences and how the Lord has blessed them and, and used them and, and ministered to them um, during their time. So let's, uh, let's welcome Hannah as she comes to share. Yeah, what Dio was saying, basically what I did, um, I actually thought I was going to cut a lot of hair, but um, it's their culture there um, for the Indo tribes, for women not to get their hair cut. So <laughs> I actually brought nail polish for myself. Because <laughs> if you know me, I really love nail polish. And um, yeah, Sandra, Ying Yang, and I were able to uh, minister to actually a lot of women in that way, uh, which I found very interesting. All right. Okay, I'm going to start my testimony now. <laughs> um, when I think about our trip to Ecuador, I remember a lot of laughter. And if you ask my teammates, our abs were hurting because we were laughing so much. And a lot of happiness. Um, first of all, I thank God for a smooth and safe trip. There were no bumps in the road, and I mean that uh, literally and figuratively. As I look back, I can't help but believe our Lord had all the puzzle p pieces perfectly fit together. The weather forecast for the week of Ecuador was 80% chance of cloudy, rainy, and thunderstorms. But he gave us enough clouds so we wouldn't feel the hot sun that everyone always comes back with, you know, sunburn. Um, and we were so high in the mountains, I mean, the sun is usually more powerful than here in Florida. But uh, our God is gracious. Not only there wasn't um, enough, I mean, a lot of rain that our charter buses couldn't cross, like, the little streams. I don't think there were any pictures of that um to get to Sinangue like that big river there's like many little streams and usually the charter buses can't go across that if there's too much rain so there wasn't enough rain for flooding to happen and there wasn't too little so that we weren't hot so and also not only was it um convenient for us uh the fog on the mountains made the um scenery so beautiful. I don't know if you got to see a lot of the pictures, but the clouds are so pretty there. And it really does look like Hawaii. Um, so it wasn't too hot, too rainy, or too cold or dry. Just perfect. His control was also evident, um, like DL said, even only a couple of hours before our flight back home. Um, our main goal for this trip was to seek long-term options and to set some routes down. Joshua Tigo's father is a veterinarian, like Dio explained, and his choice of ministry was using the goats. And um, I find that uh, we met, you know, Gonzalez, like you saw in the photo there, um, who not only had a refined idea of what to do, who to buy from, and how to build the goat pens, um, he was a believer. So that was such a blessing for us. And meeting him, I think, cut back on months of research, maybe even years of research, and various logistical problems. I think meeting Gonzalez was God's way of cementing down um, our heart for Ecuador. This way, our goat ministry, now called, DL explained, Projecto de Josue, which is the Joshua Project, will be underway as soon as this year. How exciting and perfect are the plans of our God. We've been seeing greater things are yet to come, and I believe greater things are coming in Ecuador. One thing I'm quite grateful for is my team. I will openly admit I was a bit unsure of how KM and EM would come together because a lot of these KM folks were my parents' age, and those are the people that I just kind of like 
Queens had to and, you know, scurried away. Um, and I imagined our meetings and, and our teams to be segregated into KM and EM. But I could have not been more wrong. Uh, I think I can speak for my teammates when I say it was a very fun trip. We all have nicknames for each other. We all pick on each other. And even when I was walking through here, um, you know, Captain Bryant, I mean, yeah, we have so many nicknames here. You know, we salute each other and we pick on each other now. And I mean, but not just in a fun way, but um, uh, I think that it really brought us uh, close together. Uh, our trip was so much uh, full of laughter and just in enjoying each other's company. And even during the training times, our team's dynamics were incredible. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that this trip would have brought me closer to the KM congregation, but it did. And I've learned to laugh and cry and weep with them. And I've grown to respect them even more. As for my personal reflection, I'm still processing a lot of what had happened and especially what I had um, visually seen there. It was a Wednesday night when I was riding on our charter bus. It was a short 30, 45 minute ride to Cabano. Uh, we were on our way to Tico's memorial service. And as I looked out the window and saw the green mountains and rivers carving through the valleys like you saw in the photo, I was in awe of how how everything was so beautiful. And as we were driving by some Ecuadorians, I watched their faces. Then emotions and feelings stirred within me. It was really strange. Losing my uh, momentum here. Um, but I realized how much God loved these people in this land. He loved them so much that he would forge a permanent connection with this land through Tico's death. I would have not been there. My brother would not have been there. Our team would have not been there if it wasn't for Tico. It was his plan, though, and how he loves us and how he loves them. I can only imagine how much our Father's heart burns for them. So I ask God, as I return home, Lord, continue to break my heart for what breaks yours. It's, there's not a day that, I d that goes by that I do not think about Tico. As I wander in the library at school, looking for a table, he's always on the third floor. Imagine him sitting with his laptop, smiling at me, pretending like he's studying, but really playing games. And walking into Chick-fil-A and ordering a chicken sandwich with him. I often ponder about how happy he must be in heaven. And how sad I am that I don't see him now. <clears throat> Sorry. I miss playing with him on Praise Team right here the most and standing next to him. I can still imagine his quite shrilly voice in my ear. <laughs> and as tears come down my eyes, I think of a, about his last journal entries on earth. And how my life does not reflect that. How genuine, honest, and humble his words were. How inspiring. How much I want to change because of his life testimony. And yet I'm guilty to say that I have not tried hard enough to cause this change in my life. I no longer want to just change because of his life. I will move my thoughts and longings and desire into action. I'm no longer just going to think about it or want to live for God. We'll do it from now on. <clears throat> I want to live even more with God's kingdom in mind like my brother did. Even more fervently. 
So, brothers and sisters, I thank you for your support and your prayers. Please continue to pray for me and my teammates as we are processing a lot of what has happened. Continue to intercede on Tico's family's behalf. And pray for change and seek for greater things that are yet to come here in our church and even in Ecuador. Also, I recommend, no, I highly recommend, no, I persuade you, please go on the next trip to Ecuador. God is doing amazing things and witnessing his kingdom expand is the best part. Thank you again. Many people here when I when I first heard in August that our church would be sending a team to Ecuador this winter, I thought how I would love to go. In the months following, however, I began to compile a mental list of all the reasons I absolutely couldn't go. Our family was struggling financially. I was in the middle of a seamless, seemingly hopeless job search, and I have a two-year-old going through a mommy phase. You name it, I probably considered it. So I shoved the idea of going as just wishful thinking until a few days before the deadline to sign up. One of Pastor Deal's emails to Harvest said something along the lines of, not thinking of all the reasons that you can't go, but instead to ask ourselves if God was telling us to go. I knew God was stirring something in my heart in these months since we lost Josh, so I talked it over with Jason, who was very supportive, and told me that we could make it work. I talked to my mother-in-law and asked if she could help watch Emmeline and quickly gave Pastor Deal our credit card number to purchase the plane ticket and almost before I knew it, I was signed up to go to Ecuador. One immediate blessing was that the very first day that we passed out our team support letters, Pastor DL told me after service that an anonymous donor had donated $1,400 toward my portion of the team costs. Already, I felt like God was telling me not to worry, that I should just obey, and he would take care of the rest. I'm also thankful for friends near and far who also gave above and beyond to contribute to the entire team's cost as well. While I know that Josh is where he's supposed to be, I know that many of us feel the void he left behind very deeply. I had gone through a range of emotions since first hearing the news, shock, hope, grief, and guilt. As one of the older members of our congregation, I felt guilt and perhaps shame that we had sent off one of our children to do the work that God felt us called to do. A photo, a song, or just hearing Josh's name would bring tears to my eyes, and I felt that God was challenging me to do something more than just mourn. In the weeks prior to leaving, I thought about how our church now has this undeniable connection now with the people of Ecuador. Christ's love compels us to go and share the gospel to the ends of the earth, but I can say with absolute certainty that no country will be as near and dear to our congregation as Ecuador. I believe that Josh's life and even death has cemented a bond between this beautiful country and our church here in Orlando for decades to come. I know that Josh's family, especially his father, has committed themselves to the country, embracing the people that Josh went to serve. One major reason that I wanted to go to Ecuador was to show my appreciation for the people who worked so tires tirelessly to find Josh in the days he went missing, when all we could do in Orlando was pray. 
They were our hands and feet to search the waters for our beloved brother and friend. When we first began our trip, Pastor Dale reminded us to check our attitudes, that we shouldn't act as if we were there to help the poor Ecuadorians. The only thing that we had to boast in was the saving knowledge of Christ, and that was something that we intended to share to the best of our ability during our time there. The first church that we visited in Lumbaki, I actually found myself painting women's nails, something I hadn't even considered we'd be doing in the weeks preparing for the trip. I chuckled to myself the irony of me of all people trying to beautify anyone. But I soon was glad for the opportunity to hold the women's hands, cleaning and then painting their nails in vibrant colors. I tried to speak in my broken Spanish and silently prayed for them. The bulk of our work occurred on Tuesday and Wednesday. Master Chase Lee was probably the most popular of our team members as many people lined up to try their hand at Taekwondo. The people in Sinangue, who we had heard were not the friendliest when our church first started traveling to Ecuador, were laughing and having a lot of fun during the Taekwondo exercises. The young men were showing so much enthusiasm in their kicks that we began to worry that we were actually training and equipping local bullies for years to come. We didn't get to do everything that we had planned, and there were other changes to our schedule, but we adapted quickly and made the best of our brief time. Everywhere we went, we were met with smiling faces and warm hospitality. The unity that we had been praying for our team of KM and EM members was one of our greatest answered prayers. There were no communication issues, and I don't think that many of us had laughed that much in a very long time. Each team member served as they were able and worked together joyfully. Just watching Josh's family in Ecuador was such a huge blessing, and many of us looked to them as models of how to overcome great loss in a God-glorifying way. The memorial service in Cabena was an emotional one. The church was packed with people from churches near and far. Many people, even small children, wanted to share words of encouragement or songs during that service. The most moving part of that evening for me was the words shared by Josh's dad, who said he would give anything, everything he had to give his son one more hug, but also pledged himself to the people and land that Josh loved and cared for. During our long bus ride back to Quito, as we were driving through some tricky curves, I thought about some of the innate dangers of traveling in countries that are not as developed as the U.S. I think too often we leave the burden of mission work on the young, who are often more physically capable and whose schedules are perhaps more flexible. But as I reflected over the past week in Ecuador, I thought, if anyone needs to be out in the missions field, it's those of us who are older, who are often too settled into our comfortable homes and routines, caught up in pursuing the American dream instead of the Great Commission. My life has no greater value than Josh's because I'm a wife and mother. Josh was a beloved son and brother and precious member of our congregation. When I think about Josh, I think that there are no excuses. His life and even death challenges me to be a part of God's plan. I encourage all of you, especially those who are out of college, working, and even parents, to consider being a part of what's going on in Ecuador. Those who can go during the summer can probably do the most work, but the winter trips are ideal for those who can't miss more than a week of work. And for those who absolutely can't go, please start setting aside money now so you can help send future teams. Our church was forever changed in August of 2011. God is using Josh's memory to do something great in Ecuador and in our own lives as well if we let him. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, Hannah and Yingyang for sharing um, and challenging us. To see the work that God is doing, and yeah, take those words to heart. I really do uh, ask that you would take those words to heart. 
Um, oftentimes, what we give as reasons are really excuses when God has said go. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the work you're doing in our lives and the work you're doing in, in our midst, the work you're doing in Ecuador. Both of these testimonies resounding, challenging, pushing us out of our comfort zones. Same way that, Jesus, you left yours. And once you did, the world would never be the same again. And as we leave our comfort zones for the sake of the one who did that for us and did that for the world that he loved, is it possible that we could see the same kind of fruit, that a world would be changed through our simple obedience? It's not something super Christians do. It's what anyone who calls on the name of Jesus ought to do as ones who've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, to challenge us and convict us and push us and remind us of these truths. And as we look into your word here, for just a brief moment and come to the table of grace, we ask my gracious master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. We thank you and we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin this new year, I know for a lot of us, I feel like the last few years we've been saying this at the beginning of each year, New Year's Day, 2012, 11, 10, 9, um, it's always been kind of the same story. Um, sit up here and we say, you know, last year was, was a good year for a lot of us, but it was also a tough year for a lot of us. And ever since the downturn of the economy, um, it's been tough. It's been tough for a lot of people. And, and if you've been part of us here, um, the last couple years have been um, have been challenging, not only because of the financial stuff, but um, as both of our sisters testified to, um, we um, lost one of our brothers on the mission field last year in August. And I think as we've walked through all of that, um, it hasn't been easy. It's been tough. It's been challenging. And I know there's a lot of good things that came out of it and a lot of great things that happened in the past year. Um, but I don't want to deny the reality that uh, some of the things that we went through were tough things. And yet in the midst of it, in the underlying, uh, the undercurrent of all that, there is a set of promises that I think we have been, uh, we've been, been granted, we've been uh, given, that we've latched onto, that I think has helped us to, to go through this time and will continue to help us go through the year to come. Uh, it comes from Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 19 through 24. Some say Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote this. Others say they're not altogether sure who wrote it. But the reality is it was written during a dark, dark time in the period of, uh, of Israel, in the period of Judah. <coughs> 586 B.C., um, Babylon came, invaded the country, and completely sacked it. Cities were destroyed. Homes were destroyed. People were killed. Innocent children, mothers, all these people separated and, and destroyed. And people are wondering, where do we go in a time like this? And the Lamentations is a book of lament. It's a book of, of, of despair. And yet nestled in the middle of this book um, is these, are these great uh, promises of hope that I think are relevant to us and applicable to us today. Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. This is God's word. In the midst of all of this turmoil, in the midst of three and a half chapters of of talking about all the brokenness and the destruction and the despair that they're going through, um, there comes this this, this tremor of of hope and these promises that um, that ring out and resound within the hearts of the people of God. Uh, And in the midst of what we have been through in this past year, I think whether it's, some of y'all don't even know um, Tico, and that's okay because uh, for the rest of you, for the rest of us, there have been things that have been difficult about this past year. I know some of y'all have been going through some very difficult family things, and others have been going through some very difficult uh, work-related, financial-related issues, and, and some of it re- involves people and, and their health, and, and have been through a whole lot of stuff this past year. And for all of the great things that we talk about, I want to, for a second, just camp out on the, on the difficult things. Because in chapter uh, 3, verse 19, he says, I remember these things. What do we do with these things? We don't uh, process through them and, 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 and work through them so that we can one day forget about them. The, the reality is I, is I deal with some of the hard things of last year is I'm not trying to work through these things so I can forget about them and move on. The fact is what has happened has indelibly left a mark in all of our lives, and it's shaping us and it's molding us. And it's helping us to have a, a depth to our lives and a depth to our spirituality that could not have happened any other way. Have you ever experienced something like you, you're going through something really deep? I said this before, but you're going through something really deep in your life. Maybe it's you're about to lose your home. And you, you've got a bunch of friends and you go to your friends and you say, hey, you know what? I need you to really help me. I need you to really pray for me because there's some real tough stuff going on. And the people who have not experienced this hardship in their life will never be able to identify you, will never be able to draw near to you, will never be able to give you the empathy that you need. They'll be able to say, okay, I hear you, I'll pray for you, but you'll never feel like you connect on a soul-to-soul level. You get what I'm saying? But there's people that you know who've been through the fire, and you share your story with them, and there's a sense of, of, of understanding in their eyes. There's a sense of brokenness in their eyes. There's a sense of, 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 of sympathy, and like, I'm, I'm walking with you through this, and I know what you're feeling. There's a sense where they move into that spot in your heart, and they can, they can go with you through this. I think what's happened in the past, the hard things that have happened in our lives are not, are, are not there so that we can quickly work through it and move on, but this becomes part of who we are. And it builds a depth of character. It's what the ancients used to call gravitas, a sense of gravity, a sense of weightiness, so that when you say words, it's not just words, it's something to it. There's a forcefulness to it because you've been through life. It's not an argument, it's an experience. It's not just a theory, it's it's something that you've experienced. And he's saying, I remember these things, I call them, uh, I well remember them in my soul. It It feels like death inside of me. My soul is downcast within me. But then he goes on and says, yet this thing I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Okay, three promises. We find them in 22, 23, and 24. And the first one is this. Your problems will not overwhelm you. This is a promise of God. If you're his child, your problems, no matter what they may be, will never overwhelm you. Whatever it might be, whether it be a a, a harmful relationship, a harmful addiction, a harmful habit or a harmful experience, whatever that might be, your problems will not overwhelm you. That's a promise of God for his children that you need to stand in and believe in. He says, why are we still here in the midst of all that you've been through? Think about all that you've been through this past year and some of the loss that you've been through. Why are you still here at this point? Why are you still here in the church uh, singing songs of praise and worship, trusting in the Lord? It It says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. 
Had it not been for the love of God in our lives, we would have been overwhelmed and overcome and overtaken by the issues and the loss and the struggles and the problems in our lives. But he says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. This is some pretty crazy stuff. Psalm 124, this is one of my favorite, favorite psalms. It, it starts out saying, if the Lord had not been on our side. I don't think you need to say much more than that. What would life be if the Lord had not been on your side? It goes on, if the Lord had not been on our side, then all our enemies would have swallowed us alive. If God had not been on our side, then the temptations that we face, we never would have, we never would have fought against and We would have succumbed and we'd be destroying our lives if the Lord had not been on our side. What if the Lord had not been on our side in the midst of all that we went through as a congregation the past year? What if God was not on our side to bring redemption and healing and purpose through all of these things? What if the Lord had not been on your side in the midst of your financial hardships where you didn't know where you would make your next rent payment, where that was going to come from, where your mortgage was going to come from? What if the Lord had not been on our side? It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. If not for God, we would not be here. Last week, uh, Tico's brother, uh, Joseph, and I were talking, just talking about what this past semester had been like. And just talking about what would it have been like if God had not been there? What would it have been like if the Lord had not been on our side? But because God was there, all of the things that, 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 that happened and all of the things that lined up, even from the fact that our, our, our I'm going to be sensitive here to, um, to, because it's being recorded, but our speaker last week who was serving in the Middle East, uh, took his sabbatical, took his year off, and during his year off, he went to the college uh, that Joseph is at to serve there. And he has somebody that he knows that he can connect with, not only him, but, the, but, but, but a couple months before he went off to college at U of I, Illinois, uh, the, our last retreat speaker before he left uh, is a pastor at the church that Joseph now goes to, that he could have people that he could open up his heart to, that he could have people that he could connect with. Not only that, but, but a, a year before uh, Joseph got there, one of my mentors when I was in college, one of the people who shaped and guided and molded my spiritual life was there. And from the moment jo- uh, Joseph left Orlando and, and, and set foot in Chicago, two hours away from his university, um, he had uh, my mentor and now his mentor there to pick him up, to take him out to eat, to take care of him, to nurture him, to give him a place to stay when the dorms weren't open. And what if the Lord had not been on his side? What if the Lord had not been on our side? It's because of the Lord's great love that we're not consumed. And we would have been swallowed up by the things and the problems and the trials that confronted us. But God is for us. It says his compassions never fail. It says there's a sense in which they should have been destroyed. The, the people of God should have been destroyed. There's, I think this is something that we forget is we think that if I'm going through something, something bad, it's like, God, you, you, you owe me something. Why am I going through this? We feel like we have this sense of entitlement that if I'm going to church, if I'm doing the right things, and God, these bad things shouldn't happen to me. And here's what God is saying is, look, you're being treated a whole lot better than you deserve. If you think about all the times that you ignore God, all the times you make promises to God and ignore him, all the times you lift your hands and say, I'm going to do this for you, and then you go back and willingly sin against him. Think you are being treated out of an extreme and severe kind of mercy right now. And these hardships could be ways of God bringing you back to him so that you could live in the blessed promise and presence 
of our Savior. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. It is an irrational kind of love. It is a love that goes beyond reason. It is a love that doesn't make any sense. Why would God continue to pursue after us? Okay, those of us who, I, I, including myself, who have been through hardships, but those of us, including myself, who complain, God, why is it so difficult? I have to stop and think that God is treating me so much better than I do deserve. Because all of the ways in which I turn my back on him, all of the ways in which I don't do what he tells me to do, all of the ways in which I don't love my wife the way that I'm supposed to, all of the ways I don't do the things that I promise I would do as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a servant of God, all the things that I say I would do, but I don't do, I know that standing here, being here, I'm standing under the grace of God. And because of the Lord's great love, and that alone, we're not consumed. The first promise that we have is that our problems will not overwhelm us. It's a promise that we had in the past, and it's a promise that we have for this year to come as well. The second thing, verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Okay, the second promise is that what has sustained us in the past will get us through every day. What has sustained us in the past will get us through every day. The fact that you're here right now means that God has sustained you through some hard times. And what has sustained you in those moments is what's going to sustain you in the years and the days to come. It says, they are new every morning. Have you had a week in your life? We just looked at your schedule. You looked at your planner. You looked at all that you had to do. And you said, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to make it through this week. You ever had a week like a semester like that? The reality is you're here, and somehow you made it through. Somehow you made it through. I remember during um, this last season of final exams for our college students, I remember one of our sisters came out to the prayer meeting, and, and uh, she's just uh, arduous, just difficult semester. And I said, when are you finished? She said, five more days. I said, five more days, and you're free. Five more days, and that's it. And she said, it's five more days of H-E double hockey sticks, though. You know, five days of living, heck, that I have to go through. But she went through it, and she's alive. And she's here. And so are all of us. We've had months like that. We've had weeks like that. We've had seasons like that. I remember, um, I was thinking about this yesterday. 2006, there was this one particular week in May that was just utterly downright just inhumane for me. Um, it's just so many things going on. There was meetings every night. We had a retreat coming up, had a conference that I was speaking at on the weekend. It was the last Sunday of one of our other pastors who were preparing all these things. And I just remember, you know what? I, I said, God, I don't think I could get through this. And, you know, we talk about how funny God can be. You know what God did in that moment, in that week? I said, there's no way, God, I can make it through. He took me to Steak and Shake, my favorite place to eat. I ate a double steak burger, and I got as sick as I've ever been in my life. And I remember as this food was going down, I was like, you know what? I think I swallowed a Band-Aid. That's what it felt like. I think I swallowed a Band-Aid. I know this is going to come back up. It was like I knew in my mind that this was, was trouble for me. And within a couple hours, I felt like there were these little human beings inside of my stomach who were punching me, like, get me out of here. And so I was sweating like crazy. And I ran to my bathroom in my apartment. And I just yacked. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I've never seen so much stuff come out. I ate like a little sandwich and fries. But, like, there's, like, 
all the stuff from like three years ago starting to come out. Like, oh my God, I was completely incapacitated. Usually after you throw up one time, you feel real good about yourself or you feel real good inside. But I didn't. I, I was laying down and I was moaning and groaning and, and my roommate's like, are you, you okay? What's going on in there? Like, I'll be all right. And about two or three other times I, I threw up and was knocked out for two days. And I said, there's no way I could get everything done that needs to get done. And I think at that moment, it was God's kind of sly, underhand way of saying, hey, just chill out. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, that as your days, your strength will be in number. For as many days as you live, there will be strength to get through each day. And what sustained us in the past is going to get us through each and every day of our lives. You remember, if you were at our youth retreat, you remember our guest speaker saying that God, he, 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 if, for those of you who don't know, he was about to get jumped by these gang members called the Bafu, right? And he was so scared, and yet he thought about that he had been, he had been healed of a brain tumor when he, was a, when he was a teenager. And he said what gave him faith and what gave him confidence was that welling up within him was a sense that the God who got me through and healed my brain tumor is going to be the God who gets me through these Bafu, right? And so... He was going to make it through. That's the same thing. The God who was faithful in the past and who got you through those weeks where you felt like I'm never going to be able to make it through, he's the same God who's going to get you through every single day of your life. He says every morning that you wake up, it is a prophecy that you'll have the strength in order to make it through because his mercies are new every day. This is why Jesus says when you pray, you should pray, God, don't give me my weekly bread, but give me my daily bread. It's a picture of the Old Testament when the Israelites would go out and and manna would fall to the ground. He said, pick it up every day because every day you'll eat it and you'll find strength. But if you save it up for tomorrow, by the the time tomorrow morning rolls around, it's going to rot and it's going to have maggots all over it. You can't eat it anymore. Saying every day, God is giving you new strength to meet the trials and the temptations and the hardships of that day. So give us this day our daily bread. We all know people who say they're going to do something for us, but they don't come through. Isn't that why, as our our speaker said, we hate people who say maybe. Isn't that why we say maybe, hey, you're going to go? We hate people who say maybe because they'd rather be wishy-washy than to be unfaithful, right? Hey, you're going to come to our Christmas party? Maybe. We'll see. Why not? Well, if I say yes, and then I end up having to do something else, and you're going to look at me and say, I'm not a man of my word. I'm not a woman of my word. So we'd rather say maybe. Do you ever, you ever meet a person who never said maybe, and whenever they said anything, you knew that they meant what they said? I'll be there at 6 o'clock, and they're there at 6 o'clock. I'll be there at that place. They're there at that place. I'll help you out, and they help you out. Not only, see, the faithfulness of God, not only he does what he says he's going to do, but he does it every single time, and he does it with such perfection and with such wisdom, and with such power that you could never imagine doing it any other way. Not only does he say, don't do what he's going to say, he do, but regardless of how he feels, he will be faithful to his word. Like, this is our God. And he says, every morning when you wake up, as surely as the sun rises, there is a certainty that everything that you need for the day will be given to you. That's a promise to live in, my friends. As we move into this new year, we're going to face hardship. We're going to face trial. People are going to pass away that we love. But the reality and the promise of God 
Why are we standing? Because of the Lord's great love. But, but every day, every day there will be mercies that are new for you, that will be new for you that will give you the strength to make it through each day, not only just squeaking by, but really living in uh, the presence and the promise of God. That's the second promise. The last thing that we see then in verse 24. Uh, God alone is more than enough. Verse 24 says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. God alone is more than enough. What does that mean that the Lord is my portion? I think a lot of, we see this a lot in scripture, so it's important that we understand what it is. In the book of Numbers, Numbers 1820, I think it is, God is dividing up the allotment, the inheritance to all of the people of Israel. And he says, to this tribe, you get this. To that tribe, you get this. You get this inheritance in the land. And then he goes to Aaron, the Levite, the priest. And he says, look, check this out, Aaron. I've given everything to everybody else. And Aaron's like, what's my part? What's my portion? And God says, you don't have a portion. And Aaron's like, what are you talking about? I, I need something. Everyone else has something. I need something. And God says, I will be your portion. I will be your portion. So throw this for your, your bunch. Okay, so here we are, 150 people. We're having a pizza party, and we've ordered about 15, 20, 30, about 50 pizzas. We all get, uh, you know, three people to, to, to a pie. And um, here comes uh, Paul and Pastor Albert, and they're really hungry. They could eat a lot. And so they take, the three of us are supposed to share a pie, but they say, no, 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 four pieces for me, four pieces for you, and I don't get any. And how would I feel? I need my pizza. And I need my pie, I need my, I need my slice, at least give me something. And say, no, you have no portion amongst this pizza. When, when, when God says the Lord is your portion, here's what he's saying. You don't need any of that other stuff. You can be completely fine not having what everybody else has because I myself will be your portion. I myself will be the one who satisfies you. I myself will be the one, the only one that you need. More than you need a car, more than you need a home, more than you need a boyfriend, more than you need a spouse, more than you need money. All you need is me. Do you really believe that to be true? Saying the Lord is your portion and you need nothing else in this life. God, I need you more, more than yesterday I need you, more than, more than anything else in this earth I need you, and that's all I need. C.S. Lewis said, the man, the woman who has God plus everything else in this world needs, has, let me say it again, the, the person who has God plus everything else in the world has no more than the person who has God and nothing else. Come on. If you have God and nothing else, then you lack no good thing. And if he is your portion, and if he is your prize, then we will wait for him. If there's anyone in your life that you love with such devotion and such passion that you say, you're all I need, then would you not wait for them? If this boy or this girl said, hey, I love you, and I'm going go, to go to war. So you, you're, this, you're a girl. You meet a boy named Noah. I don't know. Yeah, he, he's poor. You're rich and your parents hate him. But uh, he says, one day I'm going to fix up this house. I'm going to come back for you. If you really love him, if you really believe him, if you really care for if he really is your portion, then you would not dilly-dally with other soldiers no matter how good-looking they might be. Because if he is your portion, then you will wait for him. See, I think... A lot of times we, uh, we, we want God to be our portion. We say that God is our portion, but deep down in our hearts, we want something more. You know how I know? Because it's so easy for us to sing together 
And it's so easy for us to be moved by songs, but it's so difficult for us to really pray and to wait on the Lord. I would say for the great majority, you would, out of 100 times, out of 100 times, we would probably choose 90-some percent of the time to spend five minutes of singing than five minutes of, of personal prayer and just seeking after the heart of God. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. He's all I need. And when someone's your portion, you wait for them. You long for them. It is, it is an irrational kind of, 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 of hope sometimes that we have. But you ever get in this situation where, I don't know, this probably never happened to y'all, but definitely hasn't happened to me, where this guy and this girl like each other. And they start dating somehow, maybe because the girl is lonely, and she says, okay, I'll date you. But then she realized after a week, you know what, I don't really like this guy. And so she feels really bad to break up with him. So she says, you know what? It's not you, it's me. In fact, it's not really all that. It's not you, it's not me, it's, it's the timing. It's just the timing is not right. And so the guy says, you know what? I'll wait for you. You are my portion. You are my prize. I'll wait for you. How does a girl feel? Well, it depends. Depends. If you like this guy and you think you actually have a, he actually has a chance, then you, oh my God, oh, that's so nice. He'll wait for me. But if you don't like him, if he's ugly, if he's despicable, if he's like yucky, yucky, then you don't want to wait for him. You're like, no, don't wait for me. I don't want to be your portion. Don't wait for me. Go, no, no, no. There, oh, there's so many better women out there for you, so many better girls. There's, oh, what about her, her? Give her a chance. No, no, don't wait for me. The Lord is our portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. How does God respond to that? Does he want to give himself to people like us? I'm so grateful for the songs that we sing for Crowder and John Mark McMillan who make it so clear that we are his portion so that he can become our prize. That, uh, that somehow God in, in, this, in, in this irrational act of illogical grace I mean, I think about my life and not, we, we don't just say this to God, but he somehow says this about us. He says, Charlie is my portion. He's all I want in this life. He says, Robert is my portion. He's all I want in life. He says, Ruby is my portion. That's all I want in life. This is how much, how much do you, this is how much Jesus wants us. That in order to get us, he would lay down his life and be willingly crucified on a cross, knowing all of our sinfulness. And all of the times we would say one thing, God, I'll do this, and we do another thing. Knowing all of the times we would crucify him, he still gave his life for you and for me. As much as we say, God, you are my portion, and we fail. We're sustained because there's a God who says of you and me, you are my portion and I will wait for you because he waits for us. Because he waits for us, we can have the promise of God that whatever we go through this year to come, 
will be met with overwhelming grace, sustaining strength to make us, to get us through it. Let's pray. Let's take a moment as we respond to his word. I don't know how you need to respond today. Maybe it's just by, by saying thank you, Father. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for sustaining me through this year. Maybe it's a prayer that you want to pray, asking God, you know that there are going to be some tough things this year, asking for strength. Maybe it's simply saying, Jesus, I believe that you are my portion. You're all I want. You're all that I need. I need you more, more than anything, more than answered prayers, more than the applause of man, more than the things that you give. I just want you, God, I just want you. That's all I want because I know that's all I need. Let's take a moment to respond to his word and prayer, asking whatever it is that we need to ask, confessing whatever it is that we need to confess. Let's take a moment. Let's take a couple minutes right now just to pray in response to his word. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, as the word of God says, that we must come to the table that man are worthy of the gospel or else we bring about judgment on our own hearts. Because as we come to the table, we see played out the gospel in its clearest form, the body of Christ broken, the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness and the remission, the forever removal of your sins and mine. And to come lightly to this table of grace. It's something that the word of God speaks and warns sternly about. So if there are any areas of our lives that we need to just confess to the Lord and surrender to him so that we might be forgiven and free. So that we can come with a clear conscience. Let's take a, a minute right now just to come to the Lord. Asking the Lord, repenting specifically for specific sins. Not just generally, forgive me for being unfaithful, but for the ways in which we've been. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us and to cleanse us so that grace would avail to us at the table. Let's uh, continue to pray as we prepare our hearts. Father in heaven, we thank you that it doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense why a perfect, 
and awesome and holy supernatural God would love people who fail and fail and fail so much. But it is an infinite grace that reaches out to us that when our hearts were far away, your grace went further still. Thank you for running after us when we ran so far away from you. Thank you for pursuing us when we wandered after lesser lovers. And thank you for winning us at the cross and reminding us and reminding the enemy that you will never, ever, ever let go of your people. Thank you so much. We love you because you have loved us first. Pray these things in Jesus' name.